Hello everybody and welcome to another week of 28 Days Late Year. We really did miss you that last week. I hope you didn't miss us too much. Uh, I'm Sophie here as always with my stupendous co-host. Hello! <laughs> I just called That's you my co-host. <laughs> I'll take it. She'll so, take it. I'll, I'll be your co-ho. <laughs> You're apparently my co-host plural, so feel weird about that. I hope pretty hard, so. How have you been, Hannah? Um, pretty good. I um had like a nice uh pretty relaxing and dare I say restorative 4th of July. Um so I'm pretty jazzed about that and trying to carry it over into the week. Mm -hmm. Um but I will say, as you know, because I used your Amazon Prime account to order, um, I ordered some new sheets, and I got these, like, uh, like satin sheets, because my apartment doesn't always have the best air conditioning, and I was thinking, like, that would be a nice light sheet to have on the bed if I get hot in my room. And I've had them now for about a week, and I have to say it's, at times, I feel like if I sit down on the bed not super carefully, I'm going to slide right off. <laughs> like Just, like, end I'm, up on the floor. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm praying that during this, I don't, like, during this recording, I don't shift my movements or my body weight too much and just fall to the floor. Because mm -hmm. I swear, like... The first day I put them, like, put the sheets on here, like, the, the blankets were, like, just sloshing around, like, all crazy. Like, they're just slipping and sliding all over the bed. I mean, I feel like we all know that you already struggle with staying upright uh, and, like, not falling <laughs> off of surfaces. So this just seems like a really risky move on your part. I like how you say we all know that, like, as if people who listen to this podcast either know me personally or would just assume that from hearing me talk on this podcast. <laughs> to be fair, I feel confident that you told the story on this podcast about the time that you tried to sit on a bar stool and slipped right off of it and fell on the floor. Oh, yeah. And I shouldn't say bar stool. It was like a, like a stool in your apartment. It wasn't like you weren't, like, drunk at a bar. You were very sober at home and just yes. struggled to sit down. <laughs> yes, but also I did later find out I was concussed at that time, so. That is true. Your equilibrium was probably off. You know, I, that one's a, I get a mulligan on that one. I guess so. Um, well, I have a couple things that I want to tell you about. The first thing is I know you're going to roll your eyes because you're like, boo, soccer, who cares? But, <laughs> um, the women's soccer has come back, so NWSL soccer is back for the Challenge Cup, and so they're playing a closed tournament in Salt Lake City. And um, it's been really fun for Jeremy and I to get to watch the Chicago Red Stars um, because Kansas City doesn't have an NWSL team, and so obviously we've picked Chicago by default, and we're very uh, stoked to support them. It is really difficult to be a per I mean, I'm sure you feel this way with basketball, it's hard right now to be a sports fan because as much as I am excited for sports to be back, I feel very stressed out about mm -hmm. athletes being put in positions where they are making decisions they don't feel safe about. Like 
to me, I think the way that soccer is doing it makes more sense than what some other teams are doing. Like, it still is stressful, though, that, you know, the idea of people traveling and having to be away from their families for a long time and all this other stuff. So I, I just wanted to note that I am, I feel conflicted about it. Um, but last two weekends ago, Jeremy and I got to watch the first uh, NWSL uh, game for the Chicago Fire in this tournament. And the NWSL has chosen... A, I think we talked about this with MLS when we talked about um, Ron Perlman dunking on Ted Cruz, but <laughs> NWSL, like MLS, has changed their policy so that it's perfectly all right for players to kneel during the anthem or even to stay in the um, locker room if they don't want to come on the field during the anthem. Um, so the beginning, like the pregame was really powerful because everyone on the um, on both teams and all the staff were wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. Mm. And then um, they also, at the for their warm-ups, and then once they were done with the warm-ups and the anthem, they took those off. Um, so when it came time for the anthem, um, they had showed footage from the game before, and during the previous game, which I believe was North Carolina and Portland, all the players on both teams knelt for the anthem. And it was a really powerful thing to see all of these women um, in their Black Lives Matter shirts kneeling at the for the anthem. So then it gets to the, we're watching this game and it's Chicago and DC, and the anthem starts and players kneel and one player on Chicago didn't kneel, um, and there were th- I think there was at least one player on DC who didn't kneel either. Um, And it just made me so angry. And um, it was especially egregious, I thought, because the the one starting black player for Chicago, her name is Casey Short. She was me. I mean, she was kneeling, obviously, along with Julie Ertz, who is married to Zach Ertz of the Philadelphia Eagles. And she plays for the U.S. women's national team. And I think Casey does, too. So they were kneeling with their arms around each other, like crying. It was this really, really powerful moment. And the woman next to Casey Short is the one who didn't kneel. Mm. So she's just like this white teammate standing next to her black teammate while her black teammate kneels and cries. Um, And she has her, the player's name is Rachel Hill. And she has since come out sort of saying that, she felt really conflicted of it and she supports Black Lives Matter and she just has a lot of military people in her family and so she felt like she had to stand for the flag. And I just wanted to sort of take this moment. I think you and I have been having conversations and I think have tried to start having these conversations on the podcast as well that like as uh, white people, we need to be a little bit more uh, thoughtful about the things that we're saying and doing and I think it's important to recognize that you might do the wrong thing sometimes, but when people try to explain to you how you could do better, instead of, you know, trying to defend yourself, it might be important to just say, I could have done a better job of that. Um, I saw a really great meme of that, uh, like someone took a picture of Julie Ertz and Casey Short kneeling next to each other, and then Rachel Hill is beside Casey Short, and she went to put her hand on Casey Short's shoulder, but because Julie Ertz and Casey Short were 
embracing. She just like had her arm or her hand on Julie Ertz's hand. Like she had her hand on her white teammates hand Mm. and someone like zoomed in and was like white feminism be like. So I just want to take a moment because we aspire to be an inclusive and feminist podcast and say intersectionality and feminism is really important. And white feminism has a pretty horrific history of building coalitions on the backs of women of color and then leaving them out. And I think we all need to do better. Um, so that's that. I have one other soccer related thing to tell you, Hannah, but it's, it's a fun thing, which is that um, the, the, this is not for you, Hannah. This is for our fans that this appreciate soccer. This is for soccer. our listeners who obviously love soccer too, probably. Sure, um, this is for any fans out there who just like want to support me in my love of a sport, which I have never really had in this fa- uh, fashion and or just appreciate really beautiful men that are good at sports. And so uh, the MLS is going to do a tournament sort of like the NWSL is doing. Their tournament's going to be in Orlando and Sporting Kansas City left on Sunday to go to Orlando. So on Saturday, the supporters group for sporting was like, hey, we're all going to meet in the parking lot and basically do a big like caravan parade and drive past the training facility. And like the players are all going to come out onto the curb and we're going to like surprise them and wave to them and cheer them on from our cars. Um, Because like, you know, they're playing in empty stadiums. They don't get to have the energy of the, Mm -hmm. the uh, fans. Now, Hannah, the reason that I'm telling the story, even though I know you don't like soccer is it was very fun because Jeremy and I and our friend Sarah were in our car And we're in this really long line. I mean, there had to be over 100 cars waiting to go through the caravan. And as we are driving into the facility, there's this car that's kind of like coming up in the other lane outside of the line of people. And I was so excited to see all the players. I was like, what is this person doing? There's a line. You have to wait in line. And we turn around and it's one of the sporting players who just like, I must have been late to practice. And it was like probably very confused why there was such a long line of people because <laughs> like the players didn't know this was happening ahead of time. And so we all like turned around and he was just like right next to our car and kind of like smiled and waved to us and then drove to his parking spot. And it was so cool. <laughs> so I mean, I will give you that. That is pretty cool. I mean, thank you. It was very exciting and uh, made me laugh really hard uh, because we were like, oh, can you imagine how confused he probably is to like pulling into work and be like, why are there so many cars trying to pull into Pinnacle right now? <laughs> um, so, yeah. He's like, that's... the one time I'm late to practice. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, now I have to wait in this long line. I hope that he got out of his car in time to get some people waving to him because it was pretty neat. Yeah, that's cool because, like, when you told me about it, I didn't know it was, um, like, something that the players didn't know about. So it was, like, a nice little surprise for them. Yeah, isn't that neat? Because, like, I can't imagine – it must be so weird. I mean, I think everyone is struggling with coronavirus and either working from home or not being able to work in their own way. Um But I think it must be so strange to be a professional athlete and especially, um, you know, sporting. I mean, MLS soccer had just started. There had been two games when everything closed down. And so I think they had sort of already had their off season and got in shape to start the season and got really excited and amped up and played two really good games to sold out stadiums. And then it was like, okay, well, no soccer for the foreseeable future. So 
it yeah. was nice to get to. I hope that it meant something to the players because it was. I you could tell that the fans were so excited to be able to, you know, share their enthusiasm for the team. So I hope the players appreciated it. Um, this is like not super related, but also I just uh, remembered and I wanted to mention it before we got uh, into the actual movie for the day. Um, and because it kind of relates in terms of just like fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, I found out over the weekend that one of my best friends, um, is a fan, um, of our podcast. What? Um, yeah. And I found out because he made, um, a joke about olives and I was like, wait, how did you know that? Oh, how cool. I was like, how did you know I like olives <laughs> so much? He was like, Hannah, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, so I asked him, I was like, how? I was like, well, what do you think? Like, how do you like it? And he's like, well, because I know you and Sophie, he's like, I really enjoy it. But every now and then I have this feeling where it feels like I met up with you guys on the way to a party where you had started driving together first and then picked me up. So you're like in the middle of a conversation and I like can't find my place to jump in. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny and also like both like a kind like a kind of accurate and um like funny way of describing like our rapport. <laughs> well, I don't know which of your friends this was, but please tell them that they are welcome to jump in via Twitter or Gmail and we would love to interact with their thoughts on whatever we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know if we want to give him that much power, but we'll see. Well, to be fair, <laughs> that option is open to all of our fans, uh, not just friends of the pod. So also, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize right now. Hannah knows this. I'm recording in a hotel room. I have turned the air conditioner off, but it keeps turning on. So if there is intermittent humming, I apologize. Um, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> so V is just a horribly unprofessional podcaster and so unprofessional. You know, I have tried so hard so many times to wrangle her, but you know, I, I I'm at the end of my rope here. So this is just what we're gonna do. Everybody, buckle up. You know that I'm not even wearing a bra right now. Talk about an unprofessional podcaster. <laughs> Too hot. Too hot for bras when you don't have an air conditioner on. Bras are constricting. They might constrict your, you know, your thoughts or... or... I don't want them to disrupt my creative flow. Exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) Um, Well, Hannah, you picked our movie for this week. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Greener Grass? Okay, so I'm actually really interested and excited to talk about this with you because I really... um, I really did not know very much about this movie going into it. Um, I just had watched the trailer and seen it described as a, as if um, David Lynch directed Desperate Housewives. And I was like, that sounds like that could be great or really weird. Um, But either way, I am intrigued enough that I want to check it out. Um, want to get my peepers on it. So I thought, uh, given that it would also be kind of a nice little more, um, lighthearted option for us. 
but it's basically, um, I found out as I was watching and I was doing a little bit of research that it's adapted from a, a short film originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the short film was just about moms at soccer games. And then this one kind of expands more so to this like weird uh, surrealist version of suburbia. Um, do you want me to like explain the plot? Yeah, give us a little synopsis. I mean, I am fascinated to hear how you synopsize yeah, I was gonna say, this movie. <laughs> the plot is kind of hard to uh, wrangle per se, but um, it for the most part it uh, revolves around uh, two women in a uh, suburban environment who are in competition with each other as well as all the other families in their neighborhood. Um, and simultaneously, there is a murderer on the loose. Um, and that's, like, basically it. <laughs> I mean, like, there's some weird stuff with their children and a pool and... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there. I think that's a great way to synopsize it because there's so much other random shit happening around Mm. like I would say that like even using the word plot is maybe not the most accurate it's just a very shaggy I read a description that felt really true that it feels like a lot of sketches that are sort of like tied together because it's all the same characters yeah um well that would also I I feel like that fits too because I I thought even immediately like from the jump, like the very first um, scene with the two two main female characters, I was just kind of like, both of these women are, like both of these feel like Kristen Wiig characters that never happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I could totally see that. Now, Hannah, typically um, the format of the podcast has been that I that you go first with giving your initial thoughts and then I follow, but. I know you're very intrigued to hear how I felt. So do you want me to go first or would you rather go first and let me follow you? I'm going to let um, you dealer's choice. You could go first. Cause I want to, I want to, I'm anxious to know where your head's at with it. So I have so many thoughts about this movie. And I, I think I told you up top probably before we were recording that like, I have so many thoughts and they're very disjointed. <laughs> so I would say overall, I think I liked this movie. I, I really wish I had watched it with other people. Like, I think it was a lot less fun to watch alone mm-hmm. just because it is so weird. And there's so many weird and specific jokes that I really appreciated and really made me laugh, but I wanted to laugh about them with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that there's this really interesting, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. Like, the comedy is so incredibly smart and specific and I had fun watching the movie and yet at the same time I kept being like is this movie almost over so I was sort of I feel like I was really enjoying it and not enjoying it at the same time uh I think I'm gonna come out positively as we discuss it but I don't know who I would recommend this movie to does that make sense yeah, that's actually such a good point. Like, 
um, when my boss was driving me home today and she knew that I was going to be um, recording with you later, she was kind of asking me, like, how to describe the movie. And I was like, huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I was like, I mean, it's a comedy, kind of, and a horror a little bit. And it's mostly just really weird. And I liked it. And I was like, but I um, I was saying, like, I don't know if, like, when I talk to my sister, if she'll have thought, like, that it was enjoyable or boring or, like, if, like, she won't have gotten it. And then I was like, I don't even know if I really got it, but I know that I think it was worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like, that... Uh, that descriptor of like, I don't I don't know whoever I'd recommend this movie to, but I did have, I did think it was worth watching, and I had a good time watching it. But I totally agree with you because also there's a lot of great things in here that I would love to like quote a lot with someone. Yeah. Um, so I think watching it with someone else would be really fun. Like, but you couldn't watch it in a big group necessarily because some right. of the jokes and the way that the comedy works you do have to be paying attention to understand Mm -hmm. what's going on Mm -hmm. um but maybe if it was like a date or something but not the first date yeah (laughs) I almost wonder so uh last night as we record this we were uh, on a zoom call with our brother and talking about these YouTube sketch videos we loved when we were in high school called balloon shop and we went back and watched a bunch of them And it's, you know, it's these teenage, late teens, early 20s guys just kind of like dicking around doing very weird, absurdist comedy. But they're always either them, like they are each the same character in everything, right? They're like an exaggerated version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, I almost wonder if this movie for me would have been more successful if it were a bunch of like short sketches that were still the same characters and still maybe had a little bit of the story arc, but weren't, but but like didn't require you to sit down in one chunk and watch it at one time. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that makes sense. Cause I, I think that these, the two women who uh, wrote and directed and starred in this are comedy partners for upright citizens brigade. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it makes sense to me that probably a lot of this is just like little skits kind of put together. Right. Um, and I kind of thought like, I actually, um, I actually thought like, I wish that they had done more with the like murderer kind of lurking because, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I know that you haven't seen Student Bodies, even though I'm, like, dying for you to watch it. Um, But, like, Student Bodies is a kind of, like, uh, what, like a, it's like Airplane, but for horror movies. And I had never heard of it um, until, like, last Halloween. It was for free on demand, and I watched it, and it's ridiculous, but it's also really funny. And I was just like, I can't believe I didn't know this existed. Um, and a huge part of that movie is that the killer, there's a lot of, uh, POV from the killer and the killer is using a really weird voice and Mm -hmm. saying really weird things and giggling a lot. Um, 
So I actually did get some kind of hints of that with this movie. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they've seen Soon Bodies or I wonder if that's a um, like a nod to that movie at all. Um, but then I, I did feel like that. I mean, it also had it also had real Black Christmas vibes, right? With oh, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I wrote that the like heavy breathing and weird voices and stuff. Yeah. And then it, it didn't really pay off very much. Um, so I was a little disappointed because I think that some of what you're saying with it, um, feeling like a little disjointed, I think it could have been brought together a lot better at the end if that was a bigger reveal or, um, just kind of meant more because it didn't really lead anywhere, you know, like Mm -hmm. the ultimate revelation. Right. Also like probably not for you necessarily, but for me, I could recognize the person's face as the coach from Lizzie McGuire, like right away. Yeah, I was gonna, I was, I knew she was familiar, but couldn't figure out why that is, that checks out. Yeah, so for me also, it was kind of funny, because I was like, I was like, they're trying to make it suspenseful, but like, I knew who, I know who it is, like immediately. So (laughs) I was like, this isn't as suspenseful uh-huh. for me because I was like wait a minute I know her from Lizzie McGuire <laughs> right but I think if that had been if there if there had actually been more of a climax involving the reveal of the bagger murder or whatever uh-huh. um, I think that would have kind of helped have it feel a little more cohesive or at least a little more like there was a actual movie or actual plot going on yeah definitely I think that's really fair I do want to talk about um how incredibly uh well realized the aesthetic of this movie is Mm -hmm. because I think that really plays into how much I enjoyed it and and I think would suffer if like it sort of undoes in some ways or weakens my argument that this would have been better as a series of shorts because if it were a series of shorts, you wouldn't have the budget to do this. Right. Um, so the aesthetic, obviously this, this movie is in a lot of ways skewering sort of like suburban American dream housewife kind of keeping up with the Joneses culture. And a lot of the costuming is very late eighties, early nineties. And there's this really kind of the color palette is really saturated and or very pastel. The color palette actually reminded me a lot of uh, the Final Girls. Oh yeah. Um, and I really liked, you know, when we get the title card, it looks like an old school title card on like a late eighties, early nineties movie, um, where you have like this really bold yellow shadowed text over the. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they do a great job with the the design is very cohesive and very clear, which I really really liked. Um, and the what it reminded me of immediately, which is such a me like doesn't say anything about the movie necessarily, but does say something about me. Is as soon as that title card popped up, I was like, oh, it's like the Babysitters Club. <laughs> like that's what it reminded me of. Was like the whole movie felt like it could have been like the cover of a Babysitters Club book. That is so true. Oh my god! Like those sort of like um, oil, uh, or like yeah, like oil pastel drawings that were on the cover of yeah, Babysitters Club and American Girl doll books. Mm-hmm. 
Sophie, that is so accurate. Oh my god. Um, also, and that kind of works too, since they all had braces. <laughs> yes, which I don't. I'm sure you also saw because I know that we both love to read the IMDb trivia. But they were they talked about how at a at a panel at Sundance, the creators of the film, who are both women, were like, "Oh yeah, we wanted to be kind of commenting on like middle aged suburban adults who are obsessed with looking young. So the idea is that like." all these adults got braces, not because they needed them, but like as a, as a style choice. Yeah. Um, which I, which I didn't get watching it, but is so funny, uh, to think about and makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I love like early on, um, when they are first at like, they're at like a child's birthday party. Mm-hmm. And the two main couples are interacting. And the scene goes on for quite a while. Yes, and it then, does. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait a minute. We've got the wrong husbands. And at that <laughs> point they have like made out with the with the respective husbands for a good like 30 seconds with lots yeah. of like gooey mouth close up. standing and talking for like seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oops. Yeah. Um, and that did make me laugh. And I also think that that's also... Uh, something that could have easily felt like obvious or like like gimmicky I suppose there was a lot of humor in this movie that I think could have gone wrong if it wasn't crafted so well and I think your comment about the atmosphere goes towards that you know like it really serves mm-hmm. the comedy because I think a lot of um, you know, like, sort of, like, spoofing suburban American life is not new or critiquing it. Right. Um, so it's hard to say anything or do anything that really feels um, different or, like, it's giving you a different look at that. And so I think that this movie did, or at least was successful in in doing that um, and making jokes like that, like the swapping of the husband's work really well without feeling like ah well that was like an obvious joke or like because right. I think because it did go on for so long yeah <laughs> I mean did swap like <laughs> yeah I think uh two things one I think to your point that's such a such a smart way to put it and I think that again because so much of the comedy is really really specific that the parts that are really absurd like that they don't feel overly broad and they don't feel like it's just happening to be absurd it all has a deeper like it all is happening because it means something and it's making fun of something specific so I saw a quote um, on the Wikipedia page for the movie that came from the I believe the Rotten Tomatoes page which says this movie is far from the first comedy to skewer suburbia, but it might be among the most bizarre and surreally distinctive, which I think is a, like that should just be the tagline for this movie. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't need to try to give us a plot. Just say that and people will be on board. Yeah. But I think, but I think like I was saying, like that's why it's funny because I knew this would happen as we're talking about it. I'm appreciating the movie more. I think there's mm -hmm. so much, Again, because the jokes are so specific, like one of the uh, inciting incidents and first jokes in the movie is this joke about, um, you know, when they, when the one woman tells the other about the murder and is describing the woman who was, the young woman who was murdered was like, oh, she was a yoga teacher. And they're both like 
they both are talking about like you know the victim worked at a grocery store or sorry the suspected murderer worked at a grocery store so they're both like oh my god i pro- i like i shop there all the time i probably have stuff that he touched in my house and the other one's like i probably have stuff that he touched in my trunk and they're both like trying so hard to um be near the crime and the tragedy in a way that's like really exploitive and then the other woman is just like oh I've always wanted to try yoga and they bring that joke up later where they're talking about this woman's murder and how she was a yoga teacher and a woman's like I've always wanted to try yoga and sort of that that um like co-opting of true crime stories as a form of entertainment and a form of like feeling a sense of danger in your own life you know sort of um placed in opposition to how flippant they are about like, Oh, she taught yoga. I've always wanted to try that. Like that's yeah. a status symbol. I've always wanted to try. Yeah. And like when they went to her, when they go to her memorial and they're looking at her picture and they're like, it just really makes you think. And you think they're going to say like, Oh, she was so young or she had so much to give. And uh-huh. then one girl goes, goes, why her? <laughs> also, did you notice again, the jokes, the jokes, the sort of like density and intelligence of the jokes. I really appreciated. They had this setup where the, the like holders, the wax catching holder for the votive candle was a picture of the woman's yeah. face. So that when you put the candle in it, it like just stabs right through her face. Yeah. Um, which is a really nice touch. And I think again, going back to the sort of weirdness and uh, intelligence of the jokes, one of the running bits in the movie is that I'm going to look up the characters' names because I don't know why I don't already have them. I know one of them me. is Lisa. The other one, Kim or <laughs> Jesse. It's like two white lady names. Okay, so it's Jill and Lisa. So Jill, uh, the game, the movie starts at a soccer game, and these two women are watching their sons play soccer, and Jill is holding a baby. And they talk for several minutes, and then Lisa's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice you had a new baby. Um, And Lisa, or Jill is sort of like, oh yeah, you know, know, I had her a little while ago, et cetera, et cetera. And Lisa's saying how cute she is, and she goes, well, do you want want her? Like, you can have her. (laughs) And it's this kind of, it's this, it's so absurd, but it's clearly mocking this, like, culture within suburban and wealthier circles of like buying a thing to make it a status symbol and then giving it away to someone to sort of prove that like, Oh, I don't like, this was not that important to me. I can buy a new one. I can get a new one. Yeah. Um, and it's of course like a running gag throughout the rest of the movie that Jill really regrets giving up her daughter and is really upset with the name that Lisa chooses. Um, (laughs) But but I thought that joke, like, honestly, it worked more and more for me as we went into the movie. Yeah, well, and, and also other people's reactions when she would say, like, that she regretted it. And, like, like her husband's kind of like, yeah, I just wish you would have talked to me about it first. Like, it's not like that you did it. It's just that you didn't, talk, like, she didn't talk to him about it. And her friend is angry at her, yeah. but only because she didn't give the baby to her. Like, not yeah. because she gave her baby away. And she's like, I would have kept it as that name. <laughs> now, um, Hannah, I don't know if you caught this, um, but maybe this will be my chance to know a thing you didn't. The little boy that plays Julian is from Haunting of Hill House. So horror fans uh, who 
can handle ghosty things and have watched Haunting of Hill House will recognize Julian as Luke, potentially the cutest, one of the cutest kids in the Haunting of Hill House. And he was very good in this movie as just like an aggressively average (laughs) child who's living in a household with parents that really want him to be a prodigy at something and yell at him whenever he's not good at something. Dude, I, so much of my notes in the beginning were just how much I love Julian. Yeah. Um, When he like does his piano recital and just like (laughs) slams on the keys for like half an hour. Yeah. And then he's like, I wrote it myself. Like he like doesn't know. And And they're like, that's it. No more piano. Like we tried. You're bad at it. We're done. Piano. Like I love how he loves piano, but he's terrible at it. And then the other kid hates piano, but they are like, you're going to keep doing it until you like, until you're the best piano player ever. Bob hates saxophone. Oh, or sorry, no, Bob saxophone. likes saxophone. Well, but like, no, that's that's the thing is that Bob enjoys the saxophone and he is as good at it as you would expect a child his age to be. And the, his dad is super supportive and is like, you're you, you did a really good job. I'm so proud of you and you'll only get better. And his mom is like, maybe it's not for you. Like his mom, who's so competitive, like yeah. doesn't was like it was humiliating. Maybe you'll you know, there's maybe there's something better for you. Um you know, doing something else. I want you to know, Hannah, that one of my first notes in this movie was, this was made for Hannah. (laughs) I have to say that um, I did watch, like, part of this today at work during nap time, and it was very Mm -hmm. hard for me because it was making me laugh out loud a couple, at, like, a couple different moments, and I was trying to, like, stifle my laughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, because I, yeah, I mean... I think that something that is really amazing about this is for as bizarre as it is and as weird as it is, the all of the characters seem grounded in some way or like like fleshed out enough that they're not just caricatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that also serves it from feeling like, too hollow or absurdist mm-hmm. um, is that you can sort of see some of their motivations or especially with... So it's it's Jill, right, is the one who gives her baby away? Yes, played I by Jocelyn DeBoer. Uh, the other woman's name is Lisa, played by Dawn Luby, and they wrote and directed the movie. I think, um, yeah, I think the actress who was playing Jill did especially a good job because, like, when she would have those moments where Jill would kind of be processing what happened, um, like, something crazy that happened, and, um, like, you would still kind of feel for her and see, like, and believe um, some of that processes. But um, I was also going to say that because you said this movie was, like, made for me, uh, I don't know if this is just me, but there were also a couple times where I was... Uh, where Julian was giving me some, as you would say, real Hannah vibes. <laughs> yes. Oh, 100%. Well, also, I felt very seen um, as someone who was not an athletic child. I felt very seen by this the opening sequence of him just, like, standing in the middle of the soccer field, not playing, and then a kid bumps into him not that hard, and he just kind of, like, falls on the ground and is like, no! And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I feel you. I feel you, kid. Yeah, like, I remember once um, being little and – being enrolled in soccer because and it was my idea like I wanted to do it because my friends at school did it mm-hmm. and then I didn't get put on a team with any of my friends so I hated it and I remember dad giving me this like very 
uh, important talk about how, you know, when you commit to something, you need to see it through and you can't just stop doing something because you don't feel like it after you've committed. Uh Um, To which I proceeded to go to my soccer game that day and triumphantly kick the ball into my own team's goal. (laughs) To be like, you want me to play soccer? Well, I'll play, but you're not going to like it. (laughs) You're not going to like it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I, too, I, too, saw myself and Julian just, like, not knowing. And even the girl at the end that Jill eventually, uh, spoiler alert, but kidnaps, she was just, like, flailing around (laughs) and spinning around in circles on the soccer field. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have to say, like, my absolute favorite part that I, I watched actually multiple times because it made me laugh so hard was when um, Jill tells Julian that he needs to go to his schoolwork and he's being all sweet with her and then all of a sudden he just screams, you're a school! <laughs> and back then it's like, your mom is not a school. He's like, I'm mom. I'm full of classrooms and light bulbs and desks. And then he just goes, so many clocks in me. <laughs> um, the and part they're like, that, go to your room. <laughs> the part that made me laugh the hardest was when the two couples go out to eat and then all the waiters, like, <laughs> startle each other and drop all the food on the floor. And the then there's time. a protracted scene of these waiters just being like, oh, 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 no, like, oh, no, oh, no. crying. Yeah. Yeah, and then both couples are like, oh, it's okay. And they're like, you won't tell. And they're like, no. And then they all get on the floor and eat. And I feel like, Hannah, this is a very uh, day sibling specific reference. But uh, I I got serious flashbacks to four brothers watching them eat on the floor. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is not funny in that movie. Spoiler alert. It is not. Super degrading and very sad. Very hard to watch. <laughs> very hard to watch. Very and especially, like, as a child when you didn't really understand what was happening other than it was, like, really fucked up and tense. Yeah. I think my favorite child acting moment was there's a there's a point later in the movie where Bob, uh, Lisa's son starts to like go bad and they're like he's not he's not good anymore or like he doesn't smile anymore and the sequence when it happens like she comes downstairs the dad uh the father who's played by neil casey that we know and love from the ghostbusters film as well as other things he plays dennis dennis is asleep on the couch and bob the child is watching tv and there's a show on called kids with knives and it's just like (laughs) People singing kids with knives and kids like throwing knives around. Yeah. And she's like, she's like, she wakes Dennis up and is like, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, kids with knives. He's like really upset. And he goes, what happened to Little House on the Prairie? And the little kid goes, it ended. (laughs) (laughs) Which was, um, it really made me laugh. Again, I think like this movie it was so weird to watch, but like you said, I could tell watching it that like I'm going to quote it later. Like yeah. there were parts of the movie where I was like, I wish this movie wasn't this long, but but that being said, I know that I'm going to like this is all of these things are going to be things that you and I just say to each other now. So, yeah, you know, well, and I loved how that um, that carried that whole thing with Bob going bad carried over and connects at the end with how this whole movie, Jill, 
regrets giving her baby to Lisa, and it causes her to have, like, a full-on mental breakdown. And at the end, Lisa's like, if you want, you can have Bob. And <laughs> Jill's like, no, that's okay. She's like, I'm good. Yeah, she's basically like, oh, no, I'm good. And it's, like, so... Ugh, like, I did think that was good, the way that that came together at the end. Um, that even after they've both clearly been, like, broken down so much by uh-huh. their competition, in the end are still like, no, we're going to die with this, like, unnecessary competition. <laughs> like Right, right. It this will is continue. the hill that we're going to die on. Yeah, exactly. I, I really liked, um, and this is, I think, again, a really specific joke that will likely play really well to people in our age group. Uh, so Darcy Carden, who, uh, (laughs) we both adore and she is absolutely phenomenal in this movie. Um, she plays Mrs. Human, Miss Human. Human. She (laughs) plays, uh, Bob and Julian's teacher. She also teaches, I can't, I can't believe we have not mentioned, uh, Mary Holland who plays a woman (laughs) named Kim Ann and her kids are named like, uh, one of them is. I have oh, it written crud. down somewhere. Yeah, please. The names Dan, are so ridiculous. Dan and um, Rastafano. Yeah, Rastafano and her daughter's name is Citronella. Because she said Dan sat on Ra- Rastafano in the womb. In the womb, which is like a running gag in the movie. She's like, um, stop being mean to your brother. He's small because of you. Yeah. So, like, and so the twins, <laughs> the boys are also in this class. And they are learning about the Oregon Trail and the westward expansion. And so there are multiple scenes where the where Darcy Carden is like very in her best, you know, I assume the kids are like first or second grade, in her best impression of a grade school teacher, she is talking to them about the westward expansion and like the hardships of that experience and then having them do handouts. And so the first one is like these people were so brave and they left their homes and they could only take with them what could fit in a wagon. So on your desk, there's a handout of a wagon, and I want you to draw inside like what would you what you would take with you, which feels like a feasible handout that kids might do while learning about this. But the next sequence, uh, the next day or whenever it is, uh, some days later, is about um, how all the different ways that people died in the prairie when they were like <laughs> yeah. moving out to California. And she's like, on your handouts, you'll see the six most common ways that people died and I want you to write down the names of six people in your family and how you think they would die. And it is such a beautiful, like it made me laugh so hard. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, that basically is what playing Oregon trail was like as a kid. Yeah. Right. Like, you named all the characters after your family and then they all died of dysentery or cholera. <laughs> and the little, the littlest boy in the class who's like, do I include myself on this list? And she's like, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it's just like this little boy, you see him kind of look off like, horrified like what am I gonna pick like that is so Mm -hmm. yeah I thought all the stuff with her was really funny and how um she was saying that Julian was having um an accident or was having problems with an accident because like Jill doesn't just bring him like a change of clothes she brings like eight pairs of underwear an entire bin of underwear and then they're like uh she he soiled the beanbag chair (laughs) She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's just sorry. loose beans inside. It's just loose beans inside. And then she's like, I'll, I'll buy you a new one. And that whole thing of her being like, like introducing this idea that her mom made it before she killed her father and her entire family. 
And then that I comes mean, up again later. <laughs> Hannah, I think as we're living in quarantine, like, can't we just at this point say we're all just loose beans inside? We're all just loose beans inside. I don't know. I feel like um, Julian playing catch is me whenever I go for a walk now and see another person. And he goes, incoming. So far. Ah, I'm made of stone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this movie is relatable in ways it didn't anticipate. Uh, I love that. Oh, my God. And also, when you were talking about kids with knives, all of the TV shows were really fucking weird but really funny. Like, the b- baby bird baby food was disgusting. Oh, that was so gross. Hilarious. Yeah, and yeah an the- ad for baby food that is chewed by real mothers and then spit out <laughs> so that you don't use any, like, knives or machinery to crush the food, which was very funny and specific. And then also the one that was, like, three bald... Three bald men, but for some reason, two of them really hate one of, like, the third one. Yeah, it was, like, bald men and flowers or something was the name of the show. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really funny. And then when they're introducing them, they're like, there's Carl and Steve. And then it's like, and also Rick. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. everybody hates him for some reason. And then the name of the episode was Birdie's Secret. <laughs> and it was just a bird on a stick that one of them kissed. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> yep. Um, now, Hannah, this movie had one of your all-time favorite things, which is spontaneous vomiting, and I can't believe you haven't brought it up yet. Oh, my God. That's because in this particular case, that vomiting was so spontaneous that even after it happened, I was like, what just happened? And no one addresses it. Nobody reacted. Like, they all bite into the sandwiches at the same time, and they all throw up immediately and it's like pink yogurt they like all spit out pink yogurt of some kind it looks like um you know like that miley cyrus music video you can't stop i mean there's like not well enough to know whatever you're gonna say okay well that move or that music video was ridiculous and i always wonder with music videos like that how it was storyboarded or how it was pitched in the meeting but there's a part in that where someone is holding their hand with, like, wax fingers in front of it. So their hand is in a fist, and then they have wax fingers in front of it. And it's, like, very obviously wax fingers. And then they just, like, slowly put in a knife, and then the wax fingers just start, like, spurting out, like, pink paint. Interesting. Because, you know, art and something. Um, <laughs> that was so disdainful. <laughs> The way you said that. I just think that music video is so stupid. Like, there's so many things in that music video that I'm just like, why? There's, like, a skull made out of french fries. It's dumb. Anyway. Um, Hannah, anyway. it's because processed food is going to kill us. I don't know. Uh, um, I mean, I think you're giving it too much credit. I mean, probably. So, I do want to talk about there were some comedic aspects of this movie that felt like... At a minimum, they were on the line of being problematic, and I wanted to uh, talk to you about them and see what if you had a different read than me. Okay. Um, so it just felt like there is a lot of stuff in this movie wh- when it comes to race. Basically, any and all jokes that relate to race felt um, like they were right on the line or maybe over the line. So there's, there's one kind of running joke that seemed pretty harmless of, you know, the Jill, when she's one of the many times that she asks for her baby back, she says, I don't want to be an Indian giver. 
and her friend Lisa says, you can't say that anymore. And so she says, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to be a Native American giver, which is like a funny joke because like the problem is not that you're saying Indian, it's that the association is that Native Americans like went back on their word when in reality, right. like they were the victims of genocide, right? Like that joke works for me because it feels very knowing. Yeah. And they do it again later with um, saying that the two babies are going to be Irish twins because they're born so close together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget, and they say you can't say that. I forget what they say instead. She but it says does the Irish same. American. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It says the same thing where it's like, it does the same, it functions in the same way where it's like you're missing the point that the phrase is offensive, like not the yeah. label for the group of people. Here's the part that didn't totally work for me. So there is one black mother in the in the suburb, and her name is Marriott. And in the first scene that we see her, it's her daughter Raja's birthday party, and she's dressed like a lawn jockey. Yeah, but she's dressed like a different like a different sport every time she's. Yes. On- yeah, and there's, like, a running joke where they're like, oh, are you going to tennis? Or, like, oh, are you going to do whatever? But, like, in this instance, that doesn't happen. And it feels like I'm – because lawn jockeys in particular have, like, very specific racial um, connotations, like, that felt like maybe their intention was good, but it, it definitely made me feel uncomfortable. Like, I am – hoping that what they were trying to do was be like because lawn jockeys are like such a ornamental and racist thing (laughs) I was like maybe they're trying to comment on how racist lawn jockeys are and on like the tokenism of like black people who live in suburbs that like that white people like make them like oh that's my black friend um but it again saying all those things it feels like maybe I'm giving the movie more credit than it deserves it just feels like if if all they meant to do was be like we're having her dressed for another sport in like just like tennis and everything else I think that uh horse riding like competitive horse riding is when they should have left out just because of the like incredibly problematic implications around lawn jockeys in general and I think for me what complicates or maybe like took away a little bit of my goodwill about that is that then you have this sequence, which again, I want to give these writers the benefit of the doubt that they like were trying to say something and it just didn't work the way they intended. But when Jill goes back to the house that she, you know, she's kind of like had this emotional breakdown because she's now divorced her husband because her friends said she should and um, her kids have been taken, she gave away her baby and her son has been taken away from her. And then she goes back to her home and this woman who we later find out is the murderer has sort of like taken over her home and her identity. And so she kind of like has a mental breakdown and she wants to go back to the house where she grew up. And so she goes back to this very small house um, and the immediate first thought I had was that it very much looks like uh, what one would imagine like a sharecropper's cabin would lo- would look like. And the woman who answers is black and sort of has her hair tied up in a kerchief and her four kids come to the door. Um, and it feels, 
very, again, part of this is probably due to the time that we're watching it, but it felt very uncomfortable to watch a woman be like, this used to be my house and like, I really want to come inside because like, she feels like she still has some claim to the home, which I think would have felt different if the family that lived there was white. And then she asks if she can have one of the woman's children. Um, and the woman says no. And then she kidnaps one of the woman's children. And I think that that, whole sequence would feel really different if that family was white and it feels intentional that the family was not white but that sequence and the lawn jockey stuff felt like they were maybe trying in a well-intentioned way to say something about uh, race and class and just miss the mark but both of those sequences made me very uncomfortable um I think with the, in particular, like, well, in terms of the lawn, the lawn jockey, um, issue, I don't know enough about that, um, I didn't know that there was any, um, like, racial implication with that, so, like, I didn't even pick up on that, I, Mm -hmm. I think they were, um, I would assume it was more likely that they were just, because she's always dressed in a different um, outfit, like she's going to go do some kind of sport, I think they probably just picked dressing her like a jockey um, because they had all they had her in like a tennis outfit and a ballet outfit like later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would assume that that's probably just like a situation where they perhaps like me like didn't know enough and um like as you said kind of missed the mark there um and then um it's interesting because the 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 whole thing with her going back to her house at the end um i like i don't know i just didn't i didn't necessarily um like read it that way like I read it more like um, it was just supposed to be, like, a house that's not as nice as the house that she lives in now. Or it's Mm -hmm. not as, like, um, in a suburban setting or, like, the suburban setting that we've seen where all the houses are gigantic and look the same. Um, And that her feeling like she has ownership of the house is just like because um she's (laughs) like on the brink like she just cut all of her braces off and is driving around with blood all over her mouth like going to the house like this is the house I grew up and I'm trying to find myself um I didn't really read that as being like racial like in terms of the look of the house um but um I can see where you're coming from for watching it now and and, like seeing that yeah I think like you said I think the best case scenario is that they unintentionally did something that I think played as Uh, racially insensitive without realizing it. It just feels like 
to have that, like, to have, especially the part at the end with her going back to the house, for that to be, like, one of only two black characters in the whole movie and for, like, a white woman to literally kidnap her child, um, like, that sequence, like, it it matters that that character is black, like, whether or not they meant for it to matter. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. So, so that just felt icky. Um, and I, I want to... Cl- Sometimes I want to clarify. I, I want to clarify really quick. So, um, really quickly, I did. There is apparently some disagreement about lawn jockeys. So I found this article um, from Ferris State University, and they have a Jim Crow museum. And when they're talking about anti-black imagery. They say that the lawn jockey is a decorative yarn ornament that caricatures black people and promotes the idea of their servitude. Typically a cast replica about half scale. It depicts a black man dressed in jockey's clothing, carrying a lantern or a metal ring suitable for hitching a horse. The black lawn jockeys often have exaggerated features such as bulging eyes, large red lips, a flat nose and curly hair. The flesh of the figure is usually a glossy black color. Um, and then it says many Americans, especially African-Americans feel that lawn jockeys are racially offensive. It is common for homeowners to repaint the figure's skin pink or white to avoid charges of being racially insensitive. Um, but it seems like, uh, there is also, there is some uh, conversation about whether or not they were used to like signal people for the underground railroad. But I think like there is a pretty broad consensus that they have also, been designed in a way that like uh, caricatures African-American people in really stereotypical ways that much like you'd see with like old, like Mammy dolls or like old Aunt Jemima advertisements. Yeah. What I was um, reading said something similarly, Um, but just that um, some, some, some people like that. There's just a dis like some disagreement or discussion about it. I mean, my I, I still think my my uh, my guess would be that in this case of this film that they probably just like overlooked that and um you know ended up making a choice that was insensitive. Yeah, yeah, and I think like to to me. I, I doubt, I don't feel that these filmmakers did either of those things to be offensive. I think either they did not realize or they were trying to make some kind of statement about race and class and just kind of missed the mark. Um, so it, it did not in any way, um, well, I would say it, I guess it did harm my enjoyment of the movie a little bit, but I think like, especially in light of what we talked about up top, I think it's just important to sort of note those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I think sometimes, um, white filmmakers will, um, write a character or cast a character and not take the race into consideration, um, as a means of thinking that they're being, um, like inclusive or like anti-racist, but that sometimes by doing that, you can also like by not recognizing race in um, 
in something like this where it does have implications, whether or not you, like, even if you decide to acknowledge it or not, like, it can be just as damaging to just mm-hmm. try to, like, kind of bypass it and pretend like it's not a thing. So I could definitely see that being a possibility here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on a on a different note, I, I did want to talk about two other jokes in the movie that worked really well for me. Um, one felt like it was targeted right at my heart, which is uh, several of the, they mentioned several times this book called Mating in Captivity, um, which is a book written by Esther Perel. I don't know if you know who she is, Hannah. Mm-mm. So she's a psychologist. I believe her background is in psychology. She might just be a counselor. I'm not entirely certain. Um, She has a podcast I really love um, called Where Should We Begin? She's a counselor, and in Where Should We Begin, she records, like, single, singular uh, sessions of couples counseling with people, obviously, who have consented to have that done, and they take out names and, like, identifying information. Um, But she is sort of one of the she's like a a a pop psychologist and that's not in any way to diminish her I think she's a very talented at what she does but uh her book and her podcast are really really popular like I feel like all of the podcasts that I listen to that are people in LA like reference her all the time it's like Esther Perel and Brene Brown like Mm -hmm. both of whom deserve all of the love and credit because they're great um but that was a really a joke that made me laugh really hard and um, we would be remiss to not mention that this movie features uh, SNL favorite Beck Bennett. And my favorite joke that surrounds Beck Bennett is this like running joke that he is so obsessed with their pool that he has put in a new kind of oxygenated filtration system that doesn't need chlorine. And so he starts drinking the pool water and refuses to drink any water that's not pool water and like makes popsicles out of it and um, brings it to restaurants. Yeah, exactly. And it just, it's, again, it seems like such a specific pinioning of a thing that, like, suburban dads would be obsessed with. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, like, his main personality trait is how into the pool he is, which really made me laugh. Yeah. um, Yeah, there's, I also feel like there's a couple other things that we haven't um, dipped into too much yet, but I'm I'm also thinking maybe we should leave some of those more bonkers bits out in case people want to watch it and be sure because there's definitely a big one that we haven't really touched into about julian but um i'm okay with not spoiling that for people so that when they go watch it they'll be like mm-hmm. what <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh, with that in mind is there anything else about this movie that you want to say but haven't had the chance to um i think um one thing I wrote was um, so many mouth sounds and wet mouth sounds, and I don't like that. It makes me mm-hmm. so uncomfortable. That, um, like, twitching <clears throat> mouth during the credits was yeah. really hard for me. It was but it so was loud. a good, kind of a good indication of what was to come. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. I think that um, the movie does a really good job of having this, like, very unsettling atmosphere despite it being so brightly colored, especially at the beginning when they do go to that, uh, when they go to Marriott's daughter's birthday party. And the audio, like, they just have kids screaming Mm -hmm. out of context for a very long time. And, like, (laughs) 
it is really unsettling to hear, but it's also funny because it's like that kind of is what a, a kid's playground is, just like or a kid's party, like it's just kids screaming. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that they did a really good job with just like the overall atmosphere with the the music and the sound design, in addition to the way that the they everybody was dressed and the colors were done. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. um also, real quick, before we do our, before we move on, can I make a statement about a movie that we did previously that I forgot to say and it's been killing me? Oh, of course you can. Um, so I forgot to say this uh, when we did, um, what was the vampire movie we just did? Oh, yeah, Bit. Bit. Um, when I was talking about it recently, I got all upset about this and I was like, oh, crap, I can't believe I forgot to mention this on the podcast. But we never talked about how the, how... Everyone in that movie was always smoking cigarettes, and mm. that really was so bananas to me. <laughs> so I was like, it's very weird to see, like, attractive, like, in-the-know 20-year-olds all chain-smoking. Yeah. And especially nowadays, I was kind of like, do you really need that? You don't really need that. Why is everybody smoking all the time? It's not cool. We don't need that. Anyway, that's just been bugging me. I think that's fair. I mean, as Hannah once said to a guy that was trying to hit on her at a bar, uh, I'm going to change the year for editorial purposes, but she was like, are you fucking kidding? It's 2020. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've, if you are our age, you grew up knowing cigarettes were bad for you. So what are you doing? You mean like he asked me if I wanted a cigarette as a way to hit on me? No, he was hitting on you, and he had a cigarette tucked behind oh. his ear. Do you not remember this? And you were like, is that a cigarette? And he was like, yeah. And you were like, dude, do you know it's 2017, whenever this happened? And then he just walked away. <laughs> it was time, amazing. One time I was also at a part. I'm unabashedly very anti-smoking, and I don't feel like that should be a con. Um, but um, <laughs> like, Yeah, I'm pretty pro being anti-smoking, if I'm honest. One time a guy at a party in college asked me to hold a cigarette for him, and I thought about it, and then I put it out, and then when he turned around like five minutes later and asked for it back, I was like, uh, I got rid of that. I, I did you a favor. And he was so mad at me, and I was just like, dude, you picked the wrong person to, like, you picked the wrong stranger to ask to hold your death stick. Like... <laughs> I don't want to hold your cigarette in my face for five minutes. Like, and I just kept saying, I did you a favor. And he, uh, did not like that. (laughs) He didn't, he didn't think so. He did not, he did not feel the same. Um, well, Hannah, on our highly specific rating scale, how many Bloody Marys out of five would you give to Greener Grass? Um, so I thought about this today when I watched it or when I finished it at work and I was thinking like, I really couldn't decide if it was going to be three and a half or four. So I'm going to just go ahead and give it um, like 3.75, which I think would be like. Wow. Wow, Hannah. Wow. Way to to just split hairs here. (laughs) I was going to say it's like three Bloody Marys with a pickle or with a beer back and a pickle back. Or maybe there's like. A skewer of olives in... No, but that's like a full point. I don't know. Let's say three Bloody Marys with a beer back and a shot of pickle juice. And you're going with 3.75 as the numeric value. Yes. Wow, dude. That is hella specific. Um, But I'll allow it. So 
I'm going to say 3.5 and at least one of those Bloody Marys is going to have like a stray piece of braces in it. Yeah. Yuck. But at first um, I thought you were going to say has like somebody's mouth blood in it. I did think about blood. using the mouth blood from her pulling her braces out, but that just felt too gross. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you want, Hannah, I could what about go, the like, hair blood? make out saliva. <laughs> Wait, but what about when she gets her hair cut and it's bleeding? I mean, that was also very funny. That was and really funny so and also weird. so weird and gross. And the, when it just sort of, like, pans off to the other woman sweeping up a pile of wet, bloody hair so from weird. the floor. And, like, the, smearing it across the floor. Ugh, that was gross, but I liked that, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, it was another good bit. They were all pretty good bits. Um, so for our In Ladier News this week, we are doing something a little different because this piece of news is not new and will hopefully not be news to anyone. But as we record, it is July 7th, which means it has been, oh God, math. April, May, June, July. It has been almost four months since Breonna Taylor was murdered by police. All three of the officers who were involved have not been arrested. The actual officer who fired the multiple shots at Breonna Taylor that killed her was just fired last week. So if there is anyone listening who does not know who Breonna Taylor is, She was a 26-year-old African-American woman. She was an emergency room technician, and she was murdered in her home in Louisville, Kentucky, on March 13th when police officers uh, did a no-knock warrant at her house in the middle of the night. And if you don't know what a no-knock warrant is, it's when cops can just break the door down and come in. And in order to get that kind of warrant, they have to prove that there is some risk that evidence will be destroyed if they announce themselves. Now, a lot of criminal justice advocates feel like these are most often used in drug cases, and most criminal justice people and proponents, reform proponents, sort of argue that um, there should, there's never really, there's never a need to come in without announcing. Um, Famously, there was a case several years ago where police serving a no-knock warrant shot a flash grenade into a home and it landed in a crib and almost (gasps) killed a a toddler. Um, So it just, it just is completely unnecessary. This particular warrant, they were trying to search drug activity of a guy that I think used to date Breonna Taylor. He did not live at that address and never had. Also, they already had him in custody when they got to her apartment. So she and her boyfriend were sleeping in bed when police broke the door down, they were plainclothes officers, so her boyfriend thought someone was breaking into their apartment, and he legally owned a firearm. He opened fire. They returned fire. Her boyfriend was shot, and she was killed. Um, so, as of last week, you know, we are in a time in America right now where there is a lot of movement happening towards racial justice reform, which is really positive, and there has been massive calls to action over the murder of George Floyd in specific. But within the last couple of weeks, Breonna Taylor's name has stopped trending on social media and very, very little has happened in her case. 
So if you are listening to this and you feel moved, which I hope that you do, then we encourage you to call the Attorney General for Kentucky. His name is Daniel Cameron. You can also uh, call the mayor of, of uh, Louisville. His name is Greg Fisher. Um, please reach out to the people that can make decisions in this case. It is absolutely unacceptable that anyone in this country should be unable to sleep peacefully in their own home without being murdered. Um, and I think the, the sad reality is that if Breonna Taylor was not black, this would absolutely not have gone the way that it has been going. And I think that the fact that her name has faded so much faster than George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery's speaks to the way that we devalue or forget black women when we talk about people who have been killed by police. Um, so please keep speaking about Brianna on social media, call the attorney general for Kentucky and the mayor of Louisville and encourage them to press charges against the people who are responsible for her death. Um, I know that's a little bit heavier than what we usually do, but I think Hannah and I both sort of feel the need to try to use this platform to elevate those kind of cases if we can, because the only reason that those cases are allowed to happen without accountability is because people stop talking about them. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, we mentioned this up top. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so via Twitter. We are at 28dayslady underscore er. You can also email us at 28dayslatier at gmail.com. Um, we would love to hear what you think of Greener Grass if you watch it, because it was a very weird movie. And please, for everyone listening, especially for our white listeners, remember that being an ally is an active thing, um, and we all need to do better and do this together. <laughs>